so good to see each one of you in the service today. We're so thankful for your interest in spiritual things and thus of eternal importance. And we've been studying in Philippians on Sunday in the Bible class, and we encourage those that haven't been able to come to consider uh, making that part of uh, your hour before this one. And it'll only be 45 minutes because we have a time limit, and I'm thankful uh, for the fact that we're able to have this time now and study more of God's Word together. Thankful for the good song leading and the wording of the prayer and the fact that we are privileged in this country to come together without fear at this time of someone coming in from outside forces to try to stop us from doing what we believe the God of heaven above wants us to do in spirit and in truth to worship the God of heaven above. Fellowship is a very interesting and complex subject, and we're not going to get too complex today, but rather we're going to look at some of the verses that are used in the time that we have to see what God's Word in the New Testament is trying to teach us with regard to the various aspects of fellowship. Um, if you do not have the Vines Complete Expository Dictionary of Old New Testament Words, I'm not selling any. I'm giving them away. I'm a book hound. It's one of my hobbies. And I love to go to used bookstores or shop online. And it's a $39 book, and you should never pay $39 for this book. Not because it's not worth it, but I can get it for $3 here and $6 there. And there's sometimes uh, just barely imperfect in some of the printing. None of the pages are missing, not even written in. So um, you get with me if you don't have one of those. Uh, it's a very good Bible aid because it is a Bible dictionary and it purports to both in the Old Testament and New Testament sections give an accurate definition of words as they existed at the time in which they were used in Bible times. So example would be today we're looking up the word fellowship as it's used in English and there's some kind of Greek word in the New Testament that's going to be behind that word and also the word communion the idea of sharing not just by definition but some of the translations that we have um, in English use different words on different occasions but coming from that same uh, Greek word or Greek words you know I did fair in school uh, fair in English and some of you probably have already chuckled in the past when I might be saying Belief and faith, and one, of course, is a noun, and to believe is a verb. Got that right today. Uh, and you don't want to get those switched. Well, the same is true of fellowship. Fellowship can be used as a noun uh, in the New Testament in some sentences, and in other sentences it might be found that we have fellowship. It's something that we're doing, therefore it's a verb of action. And uh, so it's very helpful, and on page 233 of the New Testament section it starts one through whatever in the Old Testament section and it starts over again in the New Testament section in one bound volume. So you have to be careful if you're in the older New Testament section. But there are three different words that are nouns and uh, two that are used in verbs under the word fellowship. We still need to look at other things like partnership, contribution, sharing, 
but this is the idea behind the words uh, translated fellowship in our New Testaments. We want to look at some of those. And uh, the beauty is you don't have to know Greek or anything to understand. It's written in English. But there's a numbering system. And it can tell you what the number is of the word. And with other helps you can go to as well and use Strong's numbering system to be able to uh, look up these words. For those who are interested, we'll be talking about the words 2842 and 3352 and 2844 and 2841 and 4790. And that's about as technical as we're going to get because we're going to go right back into opening up the Word of God. In Acts, the second chapter, on the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Christ, what a glorious day when some... Uh, Prophecies of old like Joel 2, Amos 2, Daniel 2, and Isaiah 2. It's kind of a trick that you can remember one of those memory hacks. That, uh, they had different kinds of prophecies that were coming true. And Joel's is even mentioned, this is that which is uh, prophesied by Joel. That in the last days your sons and daughters will prophesy. And there would be the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And such was happening and did happen on that day just as Peter and the eleven got up and preached uh, the Word of God. But in verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts, the Bible says, after those were gladly baptized into Christ, put on Christ, became New Testament Christians, those who weren't called that till around Acts 11, verse 26, the Bible says, and they, this is all those that obeyed the gospel, the members of the Lord's church that day, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so this word, they participated in things that were right jointly. They shared in that which was spiritually correct. The apostles' doctrine is no different than the doctrine of Christ in 2 John 9. The gospel of Christ in Romans 1 and verse 16 is the new covenant, the new law, the new testament. And so there's nothing different about preaching the gospel of Christ and following the apostles' doctrine. No difference whatsoever. Because we know that Jesus told his disciples in John chapters 14, 15, 16, he'd go away and he would give his apostles the Holy Spirit who would guide them into all truth so that they could teach without having to study and they would be able to impart spiritual gifts to others. Well, why is this idea of fellowship so important? Well, let's look to 1 John and chapter 1 because we, if it's not important, then, you know, we could study something else much more important. But if the Bible teaches that fellowship is important, then I want to be interested in it and want to try to encourage you to the same. Let's begin, and I'll read from the New King James today in 1 John 1, 3 through 10. That which we have seen and heard, this is an eyewitness, John, that is writing this by inspiration of God. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, why, John? That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him, that's Christ, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Notice the import of the next few verses. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk, that is continue, or practice, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, there's our word, with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We want to have this fellowship, this fellowship that would be vertical. But there's another fellowship that we're enjoying today. Yes, in this fellowship hall that included a fellowship meal called the Lord's Supper. And that's because God has required that we come together on the first day of the week and we're having spiritual communion, not just the communion that might be a synonym for the Lord's Supper, but we are having communion together when we sing spiritual songs. Holy, holy, holy. We're not saying she'll be coming around the mountain. And I like that. And if you'd like me to sing that for you after services, I'd be happy to teach you the six or seven verses that I know to that. But not here. Because this is for spiritual things that God has authorized the church to do. And when we worship Him in song and we pray and we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have the opportunity to give. We are having communion and spiritual fellowship together. And it is what is right. As long as we're doing it as God prescribed, God is pleased with us in that. If we begin to change from God's law and begin to pollute and not sing spiritual songs, but let the song leader pick out their most popular country music or rock or rap or whatever the case may be and bring in pieces of paper and we're going to sing that next Lord's Day. God will not have fellowship with us in that which is wrong. He will not continue to have communion with us in a sharing or in a participatory. He will not receive that worship that is directed to God as being right any more than he did when there were false worship going on under the Old Testament law. But when it is true and when it is right, and when it's according to the prescribed Word of God, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New, it's a sweet-smelling savor, a wonderful sacrifice, the fruit of our lips, that praise that He is so worthy for. Well, is this the only time that we have fellowship? Is when the church comes together or has the Bible class arrangement? What, what does the Bible have to say? Well, we're also studying in Philippians. And in the book of Philippians, we'll find that the church at Philippi had fellowship with Paul, who was preaching the gospel of Christ, not because he couldn't work. He was a tent maker, and he didn't mind getting his hands active in secular work. And there were times when I think Paul supported himself making tents 
Sometimes he worked with Aquila and Priscilla on occasion, who were also of the same trade, if I'm remembering correctly. And there are other occasions when he might need to be more free and not be making tents and be fully supported. But let's see how the church of Philippi helped in this regard, in that which was scriptural, in that which is prescribed by God in the New Testament pattern, that those that preach the gospel have a right to live of the gospel or be supported financially, whether full-time or part-time. In verse 5 of Philippians 1, Paul says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So from the first time that they interacted together, when Paul, I believe it's around Acts 13, chapter 16, in that area, he's going to meet Lydia in Philippi. He's going to have the miracle of the Philippian jailer being broken out of prison by God, and yet the Philippian jailer is going to end up becoming our brother in Christ because he obeyed the gospel on that occasion. And you've got Lydia, a seller of thir uh, purple, and ladies that were down by the river that were in that area that obeyed the gospel in their household. And as Paul left, the Philippian church had fellowship in sending funds to support the preaching of the gospel and help Paul that he might have his needs taken care of. Look, if you will, to Philippians, the second chapter, and verse 1. Paul says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Here I don't think he's specifically speaking of what was sent to him in having fellowship, but talking about if you live right, if you'll work right as a congregation, and that congregation seemed to be at peace. I'm not saying they didn't have any trouble in the congregation at the time of the writing, but what we've got is a situation that we need to be in harmony and in fellowship with one another. We don't want there to be fractures and splinters. We want to not cover up things and put on a veneer and then underneath there are these deep cracks and problems, but we want to share together in harmony the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, and verse 14, just as with the tongue, when James speaks about the tongue and talks about how a spring can't send forth both bitter water and uh, fresh water or sweet, there are some things that are opposites that just can't be. And notice in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, some of these things that should be polar opposites. And we need to be aware of this as Christians. He says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he's going to make a supporting reason for this statement. This statement would be true whether God decided to put these extra reasons in the Scripture or not. But God knows what we need better than we know, and He gives us exactly what we need when He inspired His Word, didn't He? So there's the rhetorical question, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Well, it's not supposed to have any. 
All right? And what communion has light with darkness? We'll come in here when it's, there's no moon and all the lights are out and it's pitch black and then turn on the lights if the electricity is working. The darkness is gone because the light has filled that void. So these are polar opposites. And so we want to be careful that we don't get coupled or that we don't get into business arrangements or we don't get into things that will cause us problems with a person of the world that's not of the family of God. Verse 15 uses a different word than fellowship, but it's closely akin to it. What accord has Christ with Belial? Well, none. Jesus is true deity. Belial is not. So there's no fellowship there. There's no accord. There's no agreement. They do not walk in one accord. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And even in verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And then he uses that plural second person. I'm not going to do much more English today. I'm afraid I'll mess up. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, there's the plural, and walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What's the solution in cases where we're getting too close to the world that we're not supposed to be having joint participation with anyway? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I'll receive you. Now here, specifically, we're not talking about withdrawing or coming out from among brethren, per se. We're talking about the unbeliever. But there are other verses that talk about when we've extended the opportunity for repentance. We're studying that on Wednesday night, and I encourage every one of you to get involved in that 1 Corinthians study at 6.30, and uh, be happy to send you the link. If anybody needs it, just ask someone and those that are in it will be able to, that there comes a time according to the plan of God that there may be the need of an exercise of discipline, spiritual discipline, out of love for the good and the saving of the soul. And not that that's the fellowship part that's coming up, but even withdrawing, eating social meals, even withdrawing social action would be a requirement of God in addition and separate and apart but in conjunction with the withdrawal taking place that the person might be ashamed that they might return back to God. I knew of a case up in Ohio and it wasn't too far across I-70 to get to Indianapolis and there was a nice stadium and sometimes football games don't happen in conflict with services times on Sunday. It was Monday night football and other times. And a brother had been withdrawn from it. And he had season tickets that were right beside the brother in Christ. And so it presented a dilemma. But he still wanted to get in the car with that brother. Did not take that opportunity to talk with that brother about his need to come back, even though he'd been withdrawn from, to continue to try to admonish him as a brother, not count him as an enemy, and sit right there beside him in the stadium 
eating the hot dog as everything's fine and cheering for their team and getting in the car and coming back not having said anything. Not having said anything. That's not what God wants. That is not what God is talking about, as we'll see in our study on Wednesday night. It's not to be mean. It's not to be ugly. But there are times that we need to follow the instructions like in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Look, if you will, to Philemon, the sixth verse, if you will. Philemon, during the time of the New Testament, was a Christian. He had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus uh, ran away. For some reason, he ran to Paul, to where Paul was. It's very unusual. Don't know all the circumstances of that. Obeyed the gospel, and Paul sent him right back. And he says, if Onesimus owes you anything, Philemon, you put that on my account. He's your brother in Christ now. Treat each other like brothers in Christ should. Well, verse 6. Paul says, let me just back up to 3 through 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Excuse me. Mark went to Philippians 1 again. You've heard that verse before. So I'm trying to get to uh, verse 6. Starting in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. This is Philemon. This is the singular you. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. That word, sharing of your faith, is koinonia. Joint participation, union, working together in that common goal of spiritual activity together. In Hebrews, the 13th chapter, look to verse 16, if you will. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and verse 16. The Hebrew writer says, among other things in that good chapter. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. That word share is from this word or a form of koinonia. This can have with it the idea of communicating a benefit. It might be in a benevolent way that something is being communicated. It might be in a non-benevolent, but a supporting of the preaching of the gospel. So, for example, if this congregation were to take on a missionary overseas, we would want that brother to be teaching the truth. We would be interested and concerned in what that brother was teaching. But we would be right according to the New Testament pattern of taking money from the church's treasury and by agreement of the congregation here, send to that man in support of the preaching of the gospel. But we need to be willing to also share, as other passages teach, in that kind of a way. Look to 1 Corinthians 10, 
And we usually go to 1 Corinthians 11 to talk about the Lord's Supper, and rightfully so. There's a lot of good information there. But this idea of communion is actually used in the English from these words that are talking about fellowship. Paul says in verses 16 and 17, The cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? We share in the death of Christ and the benefits for us of the blood of Christ as Christians, and we remember the Lord's death till he comes in the Lord's Supper, as God dictates in his word. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Don't just think of calling it the communion, Think of what the word means in the sharing and the participation in worship and how we are observing that together as a local congregation and when it's happening, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit are looking down from heaven observing that which is going on, knowing the thoughts and intents of my heart and your heart as the emblems are being passed. And if we're examining ourselves, and we may say, well, you know, we're supposed to be worthy enough to take it. Well, I, I doubt that any of us are worthy to be saved, but God will save us if we'll follow His will. By His grace, He's made arrangements for that, and Jesus died for us. And so, in that sense, I could never be worthy as a human being and smite my breast to take the Lord's Supper. But because God dictated that those of us who are members of the body of Christ, who are Christians, we've been forgiven of past sins, we're walking in the light, we're striving to please God, we're to examine ourselves that we take in a worthy manner. It's the manner, I believe, that the worthy is modifying, not the person who's doing it. Now, if the person's unfaithful, not going to do them any good to take the unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. They're not going to have communion or fellowship or approval with God above being in darkness as an unfaithful Christian. But we examine that we're doing it in the appropriate manner. We have the appropriate elements and we're doing it according to the pattern as we are examining ourselves and that we take in a worthy manner meaning we're keeping our mind on the cross, the sacrifice, and all the things that are involved in scriptural prayers being offered and partaking of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. A couple more passages, and then we'll bring our lesson to a close. In church benevolence in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, we have... First of all, 1 Corinthians 16, that says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So there was a benevolent need that involved other Christians in another location, in another congregation. The saints at Jerusalem had a need. And so, not just the church at Corinth, but Paul saying, I taught this also to the churches, local churches that were in Galatia. Told them the same thing I'm telling you. There's a need, and if you have the ability, then here's the opportunity. Pick your own messengers, and I'm going to different passages now that refer to this, and be ready, and they can take the money, because we're going to take the money there to the poor saints that are at Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians, 
believe it's chapter 9. Beginning in verse 10. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, notice, and your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, verse 14 says, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so this was, in parallel, I believe, to 1 Corinthians 16, when it's saying the collection for the saints, it was for saints that were in need. And those that had were able to send money in order to balance that, that there might be equality, as uh, passages also teach in the New Testament. And we would want to balance this type of thing. And I believe that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 4. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. See, this is benevolence that is helping Christians to Christians. Church benevolence to help saints that are in need in another place, and that's called fellowship. Not just helping in the preaching of the gospel, which has to be authorized by a different passage, but also we find that church benevolence can take place to help those that are in need. There are things that people call fellowship that the Bible doesn't call fellowship. And that's where I want to urge us to pump the brakes and do even a more thorough study because we've not covered all of the verses in the New Testament that deal with this subject. But I've given you an overview that's a pretty good scatter chart of the different ways in which I'm aware that we can have fellowship horizontally with God's approval and vertically. But let us not even run to a passage that says that we can help an unbeliever like James 1, 27 or Galatians 6, 10, uh, especially those of the household of faith, where we're to do good unto all men. And Ephesians 4, 28 says we need to plan our budgets in such a way that we have something to give to those that are in need. But I'm not going to call that fellowship because God doesn't call that fellowship. It's a requirement. It's something that we need to do. We'll be walking in the light and having fellowship with God. But what fellowship does a believer have with an unbeliever? See, I've got to make sure that I maintain that distinction that's a biblical distinction. You may have some questions or something that you can help me with to think about along that line. It's a good study and uh, it's a serious study. And we want to be right with God in all things. 
Let us be careful how we use Bible terms, not just the word fellowship. Take the word baptize, and we'll close on this and get your song books, if you will. If we start using the term baptize for pouring and sprinkling, as people in our generation are doing, and as modern dictionaries like Webster are doing, not talking about a Bible dictionary now that gives you the definition of the word at the time of the writing in the history of the Old or New Testament when that word was being used, but we get down to a fourth or fifth or sixth definition in Merriam-Webster's dictionary today, and finally somebody's used it so much that way that they're going to put sprinkling or pouring. That's not making it baptism. Man can't legislate something, though they may try, whether it be the government legislating or someone who's writing dictionaries to change the meaning of the biblical use of the term. And I want to stay with that and encourage as a teacher for you to help me if I start using terms in an, un an incorrect way. Catch me on it. Check me on it. Audit the whole lesson. That's what I like. Did you hear that in the prayer? In Acts 17, 11, the Bereans and the Thessalonians were different. Why? Because somebody was searching the scriptures daily to see what things were so. Audit the lesson. We have it on uh, record. And Lord willing, it'll be up at the church website along with the others that we've had here and help the brethren that are teaching. We're not perfect, but we're not wanting to give any misinformation as we go about trying to help one another. And it does me as much good in preparing and trying to deliver something that will be beneficial as I hope it does for you. Love you all. Let us think about these and other things as we go forward in our studies together. If you're subject today and the Lord's invitation is a calling and you need to make things correct, now is an acceptable time. Why don't you come forward while together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.